Brothers and sisters, friends and comrades, this is the PRC Show. I am your host, Paul Cooley, and thank you for listening. All right, it is 2015. Back to the Future is here. Um, it is... We are recording this on January 3rd, 4th, and the current temperature is... 43 degrees and foggy here in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And a lot of things have been going on. 2014 was a great year. Um, Today on this show, we are going to talk, we're going to do a little Christmas wrap-up. I wanted to do some stuff about Christmas previously, but just got too busy. And honestly, it's totally fine to do a Christmas show up until January 6th, because that is, you know... Three Kings Day. Yeah, Three Kings Day or something like that. So... Um, we're going to talk about Christmas, and I have a guest, um, Frederica. We read this book, The Battle for Christmas, which is exceptional. So we're going to talk about Christmas and modern Christmas. Anyways, it is the new year, so let's do those New Year's resolutions. One of the things people don't do, though, is they don't recap. They make the resolutions, and then they don't reflect on what was the resolution last year. I forget what mine was, actually, but... I did want to do a little bit of a recap of 2014. Um, And things that I am, uh, I'm not going to get into all the negatives, because there were a lot of them. Um, But the positives are, we have the show, the show's going on. The PRC show is alive and thriving, maybe not thriving, I mean we've petered out a little bit, but, um, so that's good. I did run my best marathon of my life, I did, that was my fourth marathon, that's good. Um, I took more classes to finish my uh, nursing degree. That's boring. But I took an art history class, which is funny, given it's a nursing degree, but I had to take this elective. And I got really into art, and I started painting. And regarding the painting, um, that's that was kind of fun. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that at another point, I guess. But also, I transitioned from the ICU to the emergency department, and I've been compiling some stories that I'm eventually going to say, but I want, there, I want there to be some time in between the sort of funny, chaotic, interesting events that occur before I start talking about it on air. Um, let's see. I bought a new bike and a new car, a very nice uh, road bike, and uh, we bought a new car. Um Hmm. I, st- I think I ate healthier. You know, that's a big thing you do in 20, you know, in the new year. Let's try to eat healthier. You know, let's not drink as much. I think that happened. I definitely started to drink less towards the end of this year because my tolerance is down. I officiated a wedding. I went to three weddings, but I actually officiated one. And I was uh, ordained in the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. So that's good. Um... Another thing about 2014 that was fun was uh, the Pirates were a competitive baseball team. And I think it's safe to say that baseball is the only sport I really do follow with Pirates baseball being, the, you know, specifically. I'm not really into the NFL as much, even the NBA. Um, but, it, you know, they made it to the playoffs. It was, they laid an egg, but what are you going to do? Moved my dad back to Pennsylvania. Visited Maine. I started working on a novel with uh, Josh. And Josh, you know, we got to get moving on that. And probably the biggest, last but not least, I decided with my significant other to create an offspring. And the wheels are fully in motion on that. And we'll get to a little bit of that later. Or never. Who knows? Maybe we'll never talk about it. 
Um, so 2015's coming. This is the year uh, Marty McFly went to the future, and I think it was in October. So we still have some time to get the hoverboards and the flying cars and all that stuff. But thank God inflation hasn't made Cokes $50, because I think that's how much they cost. Um, but uh, here's the goals I have. And given that I'm going to have an offspring, this might sound silly, but here are my goals. I would like to get to 40 podcasts. Now, we are at, this is 24. So I think this is an achievable goal. That means I have to do 16 more after this. Even if I get close to that, I'll feel happy. Even if we can get to, you know, 37, even 35, I'd be happy. But 40, that's a, that's a hit and a home run. Let's try to do that. Um... I signed up for another marathon, so I'm doing the Pittsburgh Marathon. I want to run a good marathon, you know, have a nice time. Maybe not my best, but if I can, that would be great. I got my best marathon time by like 13 minutes. I don't know if I'll be able to do that again. I'd like to finish my bachelor's degree. Not sure if I can. I only have to take one more class, which is a chemistry class, which is going to require a lab, and when you have a wailing infant at home that's pooping and peeing all the time, I feel like that's going to be difficult to, like, go and do that, and I don't know. Um, I want to finish the novel with Josh. Josh, we have to finish the novel. I want to have, um, I'd like to have a, you know, have it done by the fall, possibly have it ready for the holidays. And, you know, we'd like to shop it around to all the big publishing houses, Bantam Books, um, Random House... Uh, what are other publishers? Those are some big ones. Just please name one other one. Simon and Schuster. Simon and Schuster. I mean, and look, I'd be willing to take an advance too if they want to give me an advance. I think that would help the creative process. I think that that only happens when you haven't already written the book. If you've already written a book, you don't need an advance. But they know now that the book is being written, so there's a motivation for them to. Now is the time to get the advance. Not well, that's what I'm saying. So any publishing it. companies, um, Harper, or I'm looking at um, St. Martin's Press, uh, Monthly Review, New Left Review. I don't really know if it's a monthly review type. Yeah. Um, type National Geographic. I mean, there's not going to be any photos in it, but um, yeah. Okay. Um Oh, I want to save some money. The other thing I want to do is I want to write my friends more, sort of like long essays. I want to become a man of letters in a way, like writing letters to my friends. Because since I really am isolated here, and why is that's not funny? But I want. No, I wasn't laughing. Okay, but because I'm in Central PA, and you know, a lot of my close friends aren't here. Sometimes it's hard to catch up with them, or they're too busy, or they're you know doing things you know, the time difference. So I want to start crafting long emails. I think a man of letters doesn't mean that you write letters. I think it means that you write, just are a writer. I'm creating a new definition <laughs> of what a man of letters is. And I don't want to say a man of emails because that sounds dumb. It doesn't sound timeless. It doesn't sound timeless. So I want to be a man of letters and, you know, and this does not mean, see, the, the, the myself from several years ago would say, if I write a long email, my friend or whoever must reciprocate with an equally long email. I'm not, I'm not going to be this over-demanding, emotional, needy person as much as I would. I mean, I'm still going to be a little bit of that, but 
I'm not gonna expect that because I'm gonna expect that they live in a city where there's more of their friends and there's things going on. So when they get this long-winded, beautifully crafted though, email, they're gonna say, oh, that was really nice. Paul kind of came over tonight while I was sitting here. I had a drink, I read his long email and uh, maybe I'll give him a call or maybe I'll rattle off an email to him. And if it is long and, you know, eloquently written, I would appreciate that, but you don't have to do that. Um, I want to eat more vegetarian and I want to play more, improve on my piano playing and sight reading and do some more songwriting. And of course, I want to be, see, I can't even say about the offspring. Do I want to be a good father, a better father? I don't even know. I'm not a father. So what, what does that mean? Be a better husband. I think I pretty much maxed out on what a great husband I was this year. So I could improve a little bit, but there's not much more. <laughs> Frederica, I don't, I think you can keep silent over there. All We're right. not to your part. She's the person I'm going to talk to about the, uh, um, the, uh, Christmas, but we did, we did have last year. I wanted to be a better husband, achieve that. Um, but there's always room for improvement. Don't get me wrong. I understand. Got to improve. Um, okay. What do you guys think of that Christmas music? So who knows we're going to get in trouble for this, but I really like jazz piano. Vincent, how do you say his last you name? You know what? I don't know. Geraldi. I, I don't I've always um, wondered. Garadaldi. The, the Peanuts, you know, Christmas album is great. It's really great any time of year. I love his uh, piano playing. It's subtle yet exciting and I don't know, how would you explain this? I mean, it's certainly one of my favorite Christmas albums. Yeah, but he has the songs, but he adds his, his own little technique to it, but it's not too wild, but it's not boring either. It's It sounds freaking fresh. It's great. Um... Let's listen to a little bit of this song, and then we're going to talk about Christmas and wrap up Christmas. Okay, that's Vincent Garaldi on uh, Christmas Time is Here, I think, on his uh, Charlie Brown Christmas album. We'll just keep playing a lot of those songs. Hopefully we won't get sued or anything like that. So we're going to talk about Christmas, wrapping Christmas up. You know, I like to go Christmas. Christmas is my favorite holiday. Let's be honest. It's everybody's favorite holiday. I am not even a Christian. I mean, I'm culturally a Christian. Could you say I'm ethnically a Christian? That's not a thing. Okay. 
I went to Catholic school for six years. I went to catechism. I was an altar boy. I used to get paid two to three dollars or a popsicle for serving in funerals. Um, I used to have to do... I'm laughing at the popsicle. Well, because if the family wouldn't give us any money, the priest would be like, here's a popsicle. And I know there's a lot of jokes we can go with that, but that's literally what he would give us. I liked being raised Catholic. We had festivals. Um, There wasn't a lot of talk about Jesus or the Bible. (laughs) It was more just like bingo and church. Yeah, yeah. And there was Christmas parties. And I remember during the Christmas parties, it was in our school and every room had a different theme. In one room, like the, the, the grades, this was like on a usually a Saturday. One room had just like Christmas movies that were playing, like the Charlie Brown Christmas, the the snowman one and you just go in there and they had like popcorn and it was fun um and i always loved the christmas lights christmas trees i love the ambiance of christmas my family my had a christmas tree with the uh, little train underneath and we had that too yeah and i honestly don't remember i mean i don't remember a lot of bible thumping from my parents or even in the general culture about like the true meaning of christmas to me never was uh christ is born and he's going to die for your sins it was the true meaning be nice to your fellow man jesus was a good guy jesus loved people you love people too sort of like dickens yeah now get somebody a gift <laughs> you know, you love people. Get your sister a gift. And I remember I would get her crappy gifts from the Christmas store. And I did like the fact that I would do that. And I, it was a sense of accomplishment. So I got this book from my mother-in-law, The Battle for Christmas by Stephen Nessenbaum last year. I read half of it and then I didn't finish it. I wanted to do a podcast on it last year. Then I read the whole thing and I wanted to do it before Christmas, but didn't get to finish it. But here we go. And when I first got the book, I thought it was going to be talking about modern um, debates about Christmas. War on Christmas. The type. war, yeah, the war on Christmas. The, you know, the Fox News conservative. This book is actually twenty years old, though, so it predates that stuff a little bit. Yeah, this book came out in like nineteen ninety-seven. Yeah, 97. around that. Yeah, and you know the modern lingo on the war on Christmas or is this this is called the battle of Christmas but it's like the 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 Christianity is under attack (laughs) which by the liberal media or Democrats like that's sort of the narrative that they say that and I think this originated from hyper PC and maybe this is where I'm not really that liberal or progressive where you know you can't say Merry Christmas you have to say Happy Holidays because it's, it's it's exclusionary of people of other religions and I would argue that Christmas, even though it's about the birth of Christ, is not really religious. <laughs> Billions of people celebrate the holiday, and it really has nothing to do, well, with Christ or any sort of religion aspect. Well, but maybe explain a little bit about the book. So let's go into the book. But even growing up without reading this book, I just remember growing up thinking, this is such a bizarre holiday, but I love it. It's just fun. I mean, dressing up as Santa Claus and, you know, you learn early on that Santa Claus has nothing to do with Jesus. Nothing. I mean, there's no linkage at all from Santa Claus to Jesus. 
and maybe explain a little bit about how the book. All right. All right. Okay. So let's go back to, let's go back to Roman times. And sorry for the gum slap in there. Stephen Nessenbaum, the author of The Battle for Christmas, he talks a little bit about this, but a lot of of what I'm going to say comes from Wikipedia. And at the end of the year, throughout human history... Like agrarian times. Yeah, agrarian times. There was festivals and celebrations. And in Rome, there was an ancient, ancient Rome, there was a festival of the deity Saturn, Saturnalia. And this was celebrated like December 17th is what, by the Roman calendar, what they call it. I mean, basically this time of year was a party time due to there being a plentiful food. Plentiful, but hold on a second. Fresh meats. But they also had a deity that they, Saturn, the sun god. And but it, it has to do with like the time of the year. It, it, yeah, and it, I love this um, fact because it really has more to do with the material conditions at hand than just, let's just choose this time. So they did gift giving. Um, they partied a lot, the Romans. It was a carnival-like atmosphere. And they also kind of overturned social norms. So this was the time when um, even like slaves had some more liberties. Um, I read on Wikipedia, like gambling was permitted. Masters uh, did some serving of of their slaves. And that's from uh, Wikipedia. But, you know, it wasn't until the fourth century that, and we don't need to get into Christian history here, but Eventually, the Romans adopt Christianity, but it wasn't until the 4th century that the, the church says, okay, Christmas, the day of, tr- of Christ's birth, is going to be on December 25th. But they're just co-opting the existing celebrations that are happening at this time of year, right? Well, that's what... There's a little bit of a debate on that. Um, some scholars say that if we count nine months from his conception, which was in March, that's when it would be. But I think it was more of them co-opting and saying... Let's sort of try to Christianize this the, um, revelry. Yeah. Um, and so they happen. There's also the winter solstice. This is obviously occurring. So it's the darkest time of the year. It's when there's the fewest amount of sunlight. And that was sort of a pagan also celebration of like, okay, we're turning the corner. Today's the darkest time of the year. Not necessarily December 25th, but around this time. Now we're, you know, we're halfway to, you know... Only gets better from here. Only gets better from here. Okay, let's get into this book, The Battle for Christmas by Stephen Nessenbaum. So I want to read a quote at the end of the book, which sums it up quite nicely. And he says, Even people who fervently believe in market capitalism sometimes blame it for cheapening Christmas. But what this book has suggested is that there never was a time when Christmas existed as an unsolid domestic idol immune to the taint of commercialism. It has argued that the domestic Christmas was the commercial Christmas, commercial from its earliest stages, commercial at its very core. Indeed, the domestic Christmas was itself a force in the spread of consumer capitalism. Bam. Yeah, that's a good summary, actually, of the book. And that's what I love about this book, is that he talks so much about the changing 
kind of, I don't want to say economic forces, but the changes in society and how that really did shape Christmas. And it wasn't this special event that was centered around the birth of Christ. In fact, let's get right to the beginning of the book. Regarding the birth of Christ, early America, 1600s, from 1659 to 1681, the founders of this country said, you will be fined... The Puritans. The the Puritans. You will be fined five shillings for celebrating Christmas. Because at that time, Christmas, again, to to go back to the point you were making about Saturnalia, because Christmas in in 16-whatever was so much it was just partying drunken revelry fornication in the streets it was not in any way a thing that christians good christians should be participating in the way it was celebrated so that's why the puritans banned it that that was one of the most interesting things about this book for me yeah and and, um there's a there's a quote from one puritan says christmas was nothing but a pagan festival covered with a christian veneer let me just say about this book, I just I really enjoyed this book because it's not often that you read something that so skillfully explains that everything you think you know about something is wrong yeah. and does it so well. I mean, I mean, just the whole explanation of how Christmas came to be what we think of it today. We, what we think of it today, we we sort of have this idea that it has always been that. And what do we think of it today as... That uh, you, you know, spend time with your family and, and you give presents to people that you love and your fa- The family orientation is definitely a creation that he explains how that came, came to be. How it came to be, you know... From from the drunken revelry in the streets. And let, let's go back to that. So what it was was a time when workers or lower class people got really drunk, and and could aggressively aggressively be panhandle drunk. and 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 demand. Yeah, and when we say panhandle, we mean go to the the lord and manners. The rich guy's house. And and knock and expect to be given the good food and drink. We're talking men dressing up as women. Women dressing up as men. Anarchy. Anarchy. But in a controlled and way. The aristocracy, the burgeoning, wealthy folks in this he's focusing mostly on New England at the time. But in New York. And New too. York. And Philadelphia. And Philadelphia. Yeah. New York, Philadelphia, and Boston and New England. And he says that the wassailing was a time it, there was a trick or treat aspect to this too which right. I, I don't want to read a book about and it Halloween. was like if you don't give us some good booze we're going to come back and egg your house t- type yes. of like there yes. was a, there was a, yes. a threat yes. an implicit threat um that was behind the revelry i mean it and and he explains how it evolves from that into um you know the oh, family traditions we have today because he uses songs that he um he also i really also like it explains the origins of uh again all the things that we think have always been there like the christmas tree santa claus um gift the giving of the gifts well i well just going back to the revelry and stuff he has he has a lot of quotes from songs like um Oh, that sort of show. Strong beer, stout cider, and a good fire. 
are things this season doth require. Now some with feasts do crown the day, whilst others loose their coin in play. Some ask a dram when first come in, others with flip or bounce begin. Thou some do only call for beer, and that I thou mourn but mean cheer. And he talks about, he has other songs that the wassellers or the poor people are threatening the rich man in town. And like, it's sort of this, it's wink, wink, nod, nod, the right thing. It's almost like, you better give us, what did I write down? It was either like, you got you, you, the expectation is the rich guy's going to give us, you know, maybe some money, beer, and hospitality. We're going to go in his house. Yep. We're going to drink. And if ever if you satisfy our needs, then we're gonna leave and we're gonna slap our slap each other's backs and say it was a great time. But there was one incident incident in the book where they like did they burn down the guy's house or they they, they sort they of broke in they broke in to the guy's house. So like Mr. Burns wasn't doing a great job, so right. they went in and kind of destroyed his house. Um, but I I also personally felt like the book was almost liberating to me to read because for me and I oh, think for certain other people okay well because I feel like a lot of social pressure at Christmas of like you know you need to be sending out cards you need to be doing all these decorations you need to be buying or making all these gifts for your friends and family you need to be doing all this cook you know there's a lot of like sort of cultural expectations mm-hmm. of things that you should be doing at Christmas. And I just sort of found it liberating to be, to think, you know what? This is just, phony? You, you can relax a little bit. Yeah. Well, not that it's, and you know what else? I, not that it's phony. And also he's not saying that just because it's an invented tradition, it's bad. He's, he, I, I, he actually, I think goes to great lengths to point that out that like, he's not necessarily, putting a value judgment on any of this. Yeah, I mean, he's at a certain point, he says, like, yeah, invented traditions, all traditions are sort of Every, every tradition yeah. is made up, so yeah. just. But the reasons for why these traditions were put in place, which exactly. I want to get into, he explains because that. a major theme of the book is it was once poor people drinking and wassailing in class conflict, but in an organized way to let off the steam valve, like, I hate this, I hate my right. boss, or I hate the, the guy the that's landlord. running the city, right. but now we're going to drink and party it up. Um, to then converting it into as capitalism is emerging and the middle class is starting to grow, um, people are getting tired of the drunks in the streets, so upper class folks and also turn as it we into a children's holiday. Yes, but also we're transitioning away during that time from an agrarian lifestyle to like an urban fa- factory time when um, Christmas time would not necessarily be a time of plenty for the urban worker the way it would have been. But to me, it makes so much sense that Christians would pick the end of the year to celebrate this and make this a big holiday because in July, say Christ really was born in July. Okay, say Christ exists. Who knows if he does? Most people say he does. Say he did. If you had it in July, that's when you're farming. Right. That's you when can't people are working. It then. At the end of the year, that's like the leisure period. Exactly. Up until the last like 150 years, that was a leisure period for everybody. That's when beer was fermented. That's when there was actual meat that wasn't because you dried. had to it was you had to slaughter fresh, those animals. Fresh meat. You had to slaughter those animals and start to salt them or whatever to get you through the lean times. Right. So now you're going to have a little bit of abundance. You got to eat them. There's not much work to do in the fields. There's nothing to do. So that's why there was 
going back to Roman times and whatnot, there was always this carnival atmosphere when people were drinking and causing problems. Um, and it has a historical, not to beat a dead horse, but the social hierarchy being turned upside down. And let me add further. When I was a caddy, we used to have a Christmas party. I used to be a caddy as a golf caddy. And guess who would... He talks about this. I'm jumping ahead. He talks about how the, the masters would serve the slaves. And Even, that happened at the golf caddy the, go, the, ca, the golfers would serve the young caddies. And some of them weren't even young. That's very nice. Um, the, he talks about the newsboys. Um, this is later 1800s. When the newsboys are basically orphans and street urchins. Street urchins. That, um, you know, the wealthy folks would... Give them a Christmas Give dinner. them a Christmas party and serve them. So social hierarchy is turned upside down. But I... D- go ahead. I was just going to say one point about the newsboys. They would pay for those dinners. The Salvation Army had men ringing bells on the streets to pay for the newsboy dinner, and that's where that originated. Oh, I know, and I like that because they dressed up as... Santa. He talks about how he would dress up as Santa Claus, and um, it's kind of ironic because old-style Christmas, people would dress up and as beg, different and, right. and beg, and it's like... They're unwittingly sort of recreating, recreating an old, old tradition. Exactly. Um, okay, where, where are we going here now? So let me go back to the, um, just how much Christmas and the unruliness was really kind of co-opted by the Christianity aspect. I have a quote from a, seventh, a 16th century cleric that says, Men dishonor Christ more in the 12 days of Christmas than in all the 12 months of the year. Wait, and can I just wait? make one Which more I think point? is something Megyn Kelly would say. If you think about how, <laughs> pe- oh, Christmas, you know, the liberals or whatever, whoever's dishonoring Christmas, like, people have been, you know, boozing it up or causing problems. All this is not new. One other thing that the Puritans said of why they didn't celebrate it, I thought that was interesting, is they said, well, if the Bible would have wanted us to celebrate Christmas, it would have told us when it would have been more explicit That's about right. when Christ was born, which it's really not. It would have said, like, it's this, which it doesn't really yeah, say. Yeah, they that. explicitly say that. Like, if it was I something that was we should, they would have told us. So yeah. it's not told. So we're not going to do that. And he talks about how courts were open on Christmas Day. Everything. Commerce was right. open. And it was. Now, that didn't start. That did not change until the 1760s. And it's also interesting that he. I mean, he's. This is a scholarly, a, written by a scholar in a very readable way. But I mean, he's looking at old, old newspapers from that period. He's looking at almanacs. Almanacs is a big thing. Almanacs and are a big so thing. So he talks about how because some of the almanacs didn't even mark December Christmas 25th is not as marked. Right. He says after 1760, Christmas is now marked in calendars. So I think prior to 1760, it's wishy-washy about uh, what how Christmas is marked and what's going on. The other key of date is Clement Moore's poem. And that's in 1820s. the 1820s. Right. And that is really the birth. Night before we, Christmas. We start to talk about yeah. um, the birth of uh, the modern Christmas in a way. Because of Santa Claus. Santa Claus. And um, do you want me to read the poem? We're not going to read the poem. We all know the poem. It Don't was the night before Christmas and all through the we house. Not a that. creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Right, but we know. Anyhow. So that was a big deal, that poem. And for whatever reason, 
not that like that poem created Christmas. Well, but it was a big turning point in it transitioning into a family-centered holiday from the drunken revelry into a thing where you give the gifts to your children. That was a, I mean, it is a turning point. It's more of a, what would you say? Not a landmark, but a marker in history because this is a New York intellectual. Then he talks about this other guy, Pintard. Yeah. And, um, you know what? I mean, it's just, people should read the book. Never explained when I was a kid why Santa Claus was not God. Like, I always thought, was Santa Claus Jesus? You know, later on, you kind of figure that stuff out. And he talks about Santa Claus being invented to change the holiday from drunken debauchery to focusing on children. And I think if you like the history of like children, children weren't, people didn't give a crap about children until, you know, the middle class started to arise, but then it became presents for kids, but it wasn't really presents for kids until really the 1800s. And there's this myth that, how much of it is it a myth? It's St. Nick. There's a little bit of this yeah. Dutch There is a, There is a, there a is Dutch a real, origin yeah. of St. Nick, but it wasn't a big thing. But that day until, is early December. That's right. That's December 6th. And the Dutch celebrate that. And it also wasn't something that the Dutch had brought to the New World, really. He says that it was non-Dutch New Yorkers in the 19th century that because of the heavy drinking and misrule that was going on in the public, decided to create Santa Claus to, like, stop this carnival, unrestrained atmosphere that was going on. Keep the riffraff in line, basically. And so there start to be photographs of... And and the funny... It's Santa Claus is used in advertisements. And they're all different... They're not like the sign of Santa Claus... The Santa Claus we have is not invented until the 1850s This is or a 60s. little bit more of a working class. He clearly had... Some of them are thin. Some of them are cr- home- he had a hobo-ish. Short, a short pipe, which had a working class connotation for people of that era. Yeah. They were all we- weird looking, you know. Um, and the Unitarians also played a big role in kind of pushing Christmas to a more domestic uh, with thing. the Christmas tree. Yeah, they wanted the Christmas tree to purge. Which again, again, like St. Nick, it does have a European, somewhat of a European origin, but it wasn't brought over here. Specifically it, a German origin. Yeah, yeah, it was more propagated by, again, these like upper class Americans who wanted to promote the, the family domestic yeah, aspect. And similarly, Euro, uh, the Unitarians wanted to purge um, the holiday of its associations with drinking. Um, And he has a line in there that the house of ale, I'm paraphrasing, but but the house of ale would not be changed to the house of God, but to the house of Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And... I mean, it's just a fascinating book because it just explains where... So many, how so many things got started that you sort of assumed just things that you think of as like timeless. Yeah. And one of the main themes, like I said, is role inversion from class conflict, class, whatever, to then children that like the kids are now in charge. And there's a funny scene where he talks about the whole tiny Tim um, 
charity for the poor. Oh, the charity stuff is really interesting. And you know, we going back to the newsboys that so we start there's a children's aid society, I think it's called. Yep. And they would have these big parties around Christmas time for poor orphan kids. And they would have it at Madison Square Garden. Not where the Knicks play, but this is like now late eighteen hundreds. An earlier, an earlier version. thing. And like middle class and rich people would go and watch and watch and pay a ticket to like watch all the like poor kids like eat. And this was like, oh, make you feel so good. It reminds me of like how on the news around Thanksgiving or Christmas you see people like, yep. oh, I'm going to volunteer at the soup kitchen. But then this be, this started to become a problem because the kids were causing problems Rowdy. and like throwing food and just like a bunch of poor kids like in this nice place having fun, which I thought was funny. Um, but overall, this is a good book. Uh, I mean, I want to like buy this book and give it to people. I really liked it. And there's a whole chapter that we're not even covering about the Chris, slavery. The we s- haven't even got into the whole it, slavery. It's, just, it's one chapter, but it's about uh, Christmas in the South. In the South. Um, but uh, I think you said you, this. What did you say? Why did this book hit home for you? I just, uh, you know, I think that it it explains a lot why you a lot of what you think might be incorrect. Why I like it is because it to me it means when I am excited about Christmas and when I celebrate it, I'm not really celebrating Christian fascism. I'm not celebrating the horrors of. It's uh, basically you can feel good about just eating and drinking. Yeah, it's an end. It's something that the human race, the humanity, European, whatever, has been celebrating for ages. Just overindulge in food and booze for and like presents. a couple weeks. Yeah, give presents. And don't um, feel bad about it. And let's give Christianity some credit. They did, I mean, who knows if they did or not, but there is the element of Jesus, who was a good guy. Let's treat- Love your fellow man. Love your fellow man. And I think that's one of the main tenets of this podcast, and what a great place to exit the show. Let's end it on that note. And now we're going to have, as you hear in the background, that is the new exit music that um, Frederica likes. You like that music, right? Yeah, I love it. Okay. All right, we're hoping to have more shows for you, and um, we will have, we'll read more letters next week, prcshow at gmail.com. Oh, one of my other New Year's resolutions is I have over 11,000 unread emails. I want to get through those. Okay, have a good 2015, and thank you for listening. on Facebook at facebook.com slash PRC show or follow us on Tumblr at prcshow.tumblr.com. All of these episodes can be found at soundcloud.com slash PRC show. Your host is Paul Robert Cooley Jr. Technological consultant, sound design, host curation, and music production is also by Paul Robert Cooley. Emotional support brought to you by the roommates of Salvador and Kate G. Executive producer Josh Ferris. All labors donated. Thanks for listening. <laughs>